from Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him on whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. John chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So once again, it is Christmas Eve. Tomorrow is Christmas Day. There are all kinds of traditions associated with Christmas, right? You have those, uh, those traditions that are within your family, the culture at large. Other nations, they have different traditions as well. Like in England, they call Santa Claus Father Christmas, which is weird. And he comes from Lapland. I don't know where Lapland is. I think it's like Finland. I don't know. I didn't look it up. I don't care. Um, but there's all kinds of different Christmas traditions. Music. I mean, that's one of the Christmas traditions. November 1st, every radio station, you start hearing that little sleigh bell. And then all of a sudden, I don't want a lot for Christmas. She says she doesn't want a lot for Christmas, and she says she want, all she wants is you. So not me, Mariah Carey said that you're not a lot. When it comes to Christmas music, it's kind of like split in half. You have half is actually about Christ and about the birth of Jesus Christ, the incarnation. Um, and then you have half that's everything besides Christ. Like there's Christmas songs about a reindeer running over grandma. So you have these kind of conflicting things, and that's why it's always hard to know what's, what's the true meaning of Christmas. And that's where movies and TV shows try to answer that question. Every TV show has their Christmas special. In fact, one of the TV shows I like, The Office, I'll go through my uh, DVDs and I will select the, uh, the Christmas specials. And every Christmas special, they're doing the same thing where they're like, what's the true meaning of Christmas? And every Christmas special is like, the true meaning of Christmas is family. And I'm like, excuse me, is it called family mass? I thought it was Christ mass. So amongst all the Christmas specials, Charlie Brown Christmas stands alone, understanding the true meaning of Christmas. Decorations are another tradition. Decorations are kind of wild, right? I mean, I could... I thought about tracing all the traditions for you today, but it's supposed to be a shorter service since we're doing two services today. So I'm not going to do that. But you know, we have things like we take lights and we put them outside. We take trees that are outside, we uproot them and bring them inside. <laughs> it's kind of wild stuff, right? And then we're like, everything needs to be red and green and all of these things. And other people have other kinds of like specific um, decorations for themselves. I know like for, for me and Becca, you know, we put out a nativity scene. And um, after one sermon I had, we put a dragon in that nativity scene because Revelation chapter 12, there's another Christmas story for you. And there's a dragon in that nativity. 
Santa Claus, right? That's one of our other traditions. Santa Claus, what a weird thing we have because he's a magical fat man that can travel at light speed. It's like Flash in a, in a fat suit and he gives gifts and he's, he's a works righteous person too because he knows when you're sleeping. He, he, he knows when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. So he's a peeping Tom as well. So better be good for goodness sake. Whoa, somebody's coming which is interesting considering the actual Santa Claus, St. Nicholas from Malta, was a, was a righteous man. He was a bishop of the early church. And during the first ecumenical council, now whether or not this story is true or not, I'm not sure. I've never found a primary source, so it might just be some part of his myth and legend. But during the first ecumenical council, when they were getting together as churches to talk about what do we believe about Jesus Christ? Is Jesus Christ co-equal with the Father? And that's what we believe today. He is co-equal with the Father. He is not a created being. There was this guy at the time named Arius. And Arius was teaching that Jesus Christ was a created being, that he was less than the Father. And that uh, he was a created being. He even had a song about it. That's why we should watch the kind of songs we sing. Because error slips into songs all the time. And a lot of times we're like, hey, can you tap your foot to it? Can you dance to it? Who cares what the message is? And, um, and uh, so he was singing this song. People were getting upset. And according to, according to legend, St. Nicholas comes up to him and smacks him across the face. There is a twinkle in his eye. And he is seeing who's uh, doctrinally sounded or not. You might get one. Anyway, just kidding. Um, one family tradition me and Becca have, because of her family being Danish, is dancing around the Christmas tree. It's not like the song, the rocking around the Christmas tree, have happy holiday. Um, this is a tradition that they do in Denmark to this day, where the family will lock hands around the Christmas tree. And okay, coming from a family where we did no traditions, the first time we did this at Becca's family's house, I was like, this is kind of weird because I'm not used to it, you know? <laughs> and we're like, the youngest will choose a song and then you go to the oldest and the oldest will sing a Danish song called New Havi Uligan. And I, and I thought this was a neat song. Then I looked up the lyrics to it and the lyrics are, I'm surprised it's Danish because I would think it's German for how little, um, sorry, those who are Danish, for little imaginations in it because the literal lyrics just mean Christmas comes but once a year, it lasts from now till Epiphany, but wait, there's one other holiday in there. So very festive, very well, very well thought out. And then in Denmark, when they sing that, everybody runs throughout the house, and I have no idea why. The early church, before anybody even coined the word Christmas, had traditions coming to the, when it comes to the birth of Jesus Christ. This is, this tradition, we only have a shadow of anymore. And even the shadow is almost gone. That shadow is Christmas caroling. I was speaking with one of my elders, uh, Dennis, and we were talking about Christmas caroling is almost extinct. But Christmas caroling actually points to something different. It points to going and sharing the message. So before the early church, before the apostles, anybody ever coined the word Christmas? And I don't even know whether or not they knew exactly when Jesus was born. I don't think they did, but that didn't stop them because every time they'd go into a new place, they'd go into the synagogue and they would tell them, the Messiah has come. The one you're waiting for. You know, we talk about Advent. Advent comes from the Latin, which means coming. Adventus, which means coming. 
So they go into every town and it's a Christmas message. The one you've been waiting for, he came, he lived, he died, he's risen again. And now we wait for his second coming. That is the Christmas tradition that should be holding on to this day. Even, even amongst the Gentiles, when Paul went to Athens, he goes to Athens, which is one of the most religious centers of the world at his time. And he sees all these idols dedicated to their different gods and goddesses, those who are not real gods or goddesses at all, but demons and other forms, and these idols. And he sees this idol dedicated to the unknown God. So, he, so all the people gather together at the Acropolis over in Athens, and he tells them, I know the name of your unknown God. That's a Christmas message. Who you've been waiting for, the longing of every nation, of every heart has come and his name is Jesus Christ. That's why I started this message series right here because Christmas shouldn't be only held within our hearts, but the Christmas message that the Messiah has come. He lived, he died, he rose again, and he's coming again. That needs to be on our lips. We need to be Christmas, Christmas missionaries. When it comes to Christmas, we know that despite all the decorations, the music, the presence, that Jesus is the reason for the season. Last week, I talked about Christmas from Jesus's point of view. Why did Jesus say he came? Well, he tells Pilate to testify that he's come. This is why he's come, to testify to the truth. And then he tells Nicodemus in John three sixteen that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That's why he is sent to testify to the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. That's why in the beginning here, I read from Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on him who they have not believed? And how can they believe in him who they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And then in John 20, verse 21, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Why did God the father send the son? Because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So now Christ, Christ so loves the world that he gives you. He gives you. He gives you to tell the good news of Jesus Christ. And this isn't a safe message because it could, you could go anywhere. I think of the missionary Jim Elliott. Him and his friends hear about this tribe over in South America and that has never known any contact with the outside world. And they're burdened in their heart, even though they know it's dangerous to bring the gospel to them and it costs them their very lives. And when I hear that story, I think of those stories of any martyrs. I think about how much God loves his people and how much God must love others to send his people, his adopted sons and daughters to go preach the gospel and that we are part of this tradition. The Christmas light shines in us and we must share that light with the world. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. The father sent the son to be light. And as the word, Jesus sends us to reflect his light and bring his word. The first three chapters of the gospel of John is how the son is sent by the father. Jesus, who is very nature, God does not, um, whose very nature, God puts on humanity, does not lose his divinity. He's always fully God, but he puts on humanity. That's the incarnation that we celebrate during Christmas. John says the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. 
The Holy Spirit through the prophet Isaiah says that God himself will give us a sign. The virgin will be with child and his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. And we, once again, in John 20, verse 21, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As a father has sent me, even so I am sending you. The message of Christmas is not that Jesus was sent, was not only that Jesus was sent, but also that we are being sent by him. Do you know the work of the Holy Spirit has for you? It's so great. It is so big. It is not only proclaiming the message, even though that is paramount. In fact, Paul the Apostle said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 18, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. So even if somebody's proclaiming the message with bad motives, Paul's like, I don't care as long as the message is being preached. But we are sent for that and also one, to shine. Two, yes, absolutely to proclaim. And three, to make, to make disciples. Let's start off with the first point. The first way that Christ has sent us is to shine. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, if you can put that up there, that'd be fantastic. You are the light of, you are the, light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to, the, to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God, your father, who is in heaven. Then in Philippians chapter two, verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. This time of year is great. And even as it gets colder, Something really neat happens in the, at night when the sun is out. The sun is so bright because it's so crystal clear, right? I mean, there's times in full moon during the winter, you could probably work at 2 a.m. Now, Josh, that is not a suggestion. Um, <laughs> it's so bright. But where does that light come from? The light doesn't come from the moon itself. It's reflected by the sun. And that's me and you. The light does not come from us. It comes from the son of God. We have this treasure that's in jars of clay so that we may not assume that this all-surpassing power is through us. The moon shines at night. The moon that has a different light than the light of the sun. It reflects the light. That's you and me. This light, this power doesn't come from us. It's an alien glory, a righteousness, not of our works, but a righteousness that comes by faith. And you are the light of the world. Jesus in his sermon on the mound says, says so. Light doesn't matter, however, if you're just going to hide it. If you're just being virtuous at home, who cares? People should see that there is a growth in you. Now, that growth is different between every person. But people should be able to see that growth in you. From one year to the next, would somebody say, that person's more in love with Jesus now than they were last year? We shouldn't ever, first of all, we can't maintain. We can't just stay at the same level. We drift. If we don't do anything, we drift. And we drift towards danger. We never drift towards safety. You have to work to be where you need to be. Work. I don't really mean work. I mean submit. Submit to the Lord. It's like you're in a life raft and he's trying to get you to safety and you're trying to go the other way. Let him take you to where you need to be. To shine like stars in the heaven. 
Christ says a little, Christ says a little further down that your righteousness needs to surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees and the Sadducees to enter the kingdom of heaven. Last week, I talked about the Pharisees in John chapter three. Jesus is talking to a Pharisee named Nicodemus. They're religious professionals. And if I was, if you were to compare yourself, your right standing, your, your righteousness to theirs, like you doing the good right thing, you'd fail. You're not mating up to that standard. These folks, they memorized the whole Old Testament and they could recall it just like that. Outwardly, they seemed almost perfect. Yet Jesus says, unless your righteousness surpasses theirs, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. How can we shine like Christ? How does this happen? If we can't compare to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, how are we to enter the kingdom of heaven? It's not fair, you see. See, our righteousness doesn't come from good works. It comes from Christ's finished work on the cross. Our good works should not come from trying to earn our way into heaven, but because Christ has already made the way. He has said on the cross, it is finished. That is why he has come to this earth to testify to the truth. What is this truth? Is that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, and that all who believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Others should see that in you. They should see the work of grace in our lives and bless our Father who is in heaven. It's what we are sent to do to promote him and not us. Let me say that again. We are not sent to promote ourselves, but Christ. We need to decrease so that he might increase. And that's how his light shines in our life. The people can see your life and they're like, I know for a fact that's not them. I know it's not Jason who's like this. It's the Holy Spirit inside of him. We are also sent to proclaim. That was the principal scripture for this whole Advent season that I've been using in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17. We are sent to proclaim the message. There's a quote that gets attributed to Francis of Assisi. Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. That's like trying to say, dial my number at all times and when necessary, actually use digits. See, the message, the good news is news. It's a proclamation. We use the word gospel, but we took that from the Greeks. See, the Greeks, after a battle, they would send out a runner and the runner had a gospel message. The gospel means good news. And the good news that he would be bringing to all these different places. Let me back up for a second. Let me give you an example. For instance, the Battle of Marathon, a battle that should not have been won, but it was won by the Greeks. So they send out a runner and it was the first marathon runner. And for those of you who are thinking about doing a marathon, maybe you don't want to listen to this part. So he's the first marathon runner, according to Herodotus and his histories. Um, he gets to the place and he shouts out, Nike. Nike is Greek for victory. So the gospel message is victory. And then he keels over and dies. But I've ran two marathons and I haven't died yet. So you guys are fine. But that was, that was the idea of a gospel message. It's, it's, it's a proclamation. Preachers in the, in the Bible are those who proclaim. And we have this message that we tell to the nations that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it is a message. You see, if, the, if that runner, if he went to the place that he's supposed to get to, how does he communicate victory without telling people Nike? You think just living a good life, he's being really kind to people. They're like, things must be going well on the battlefield. It's a message that we must proclaim. It's a message because there's no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved other than Jesus Christ. There's no other way that God has ordained 
the salvation of men and women, rather other than the word. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. In verse 13 of Romans chapter 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The apostle Paul is quoting from the book of Joel. Then the new covenant, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. From here is kind of a duh moment. How can they call on him on whom they have not believed? No one is saved by ignorance. No one is accidentally a Christian. It is those who call upon the name of Jesus. Jesus was sent to testify to the truth. So we too are testify, are sent to testify according to that truth. Because there is no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. We are sent for a reason. Verses 14 and 15. How can they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How can someone believe in someone they have not heard about? How can they hear unless somebody tells them? How can they tell if they are not sent? You and I are sent to proclaim a message. Like a herald after a great battle, we would run downtown to proclaim victory. Verses 16 and 17, this is God's ordained means of salvation. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Verse 17, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. No other way. Now, what about areas where Christ has never been proclaimed? We don't know all the intricacies of what God does. We do know, we do get snapshots every now and again. For instance, in the Muslim world, people have visions of Christ, just like Paul the Apostle did. But even Paul the Apostle had to go to a disciple who told him about the word of Christ in order to be saved. There is no easy button out of this. God has ordained you and me to be his ambassadors of peace. Finally, we're sent to make. What to make? Make disciples. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, and Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is what we call the Great Commission. And while the proclamation of the gospel is in there, there's about three to four other commands. Let's start with the very beginning of this. Jesus Christ says, all authority. Start where Jesus starts, all authority. All authority has been given to whom? To Christ, to Jesus Christ. He has won the victory. Our gospel message is victory. Christ has conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. And if you believe in him, you will be You'll be his adopted brother, the adopted son or daughter of the living God. When it comes to our sending, to our sending, it's from victory. You want further proof it's from victory that Satan may be the God of the culture of this age, but he's not the, but he's not the God of this world. We look to Revelation. When the Lord stretches out his hand, no one can put it back. Not the devil, not angels, not armies, not men, nothing. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And from this authority, we make disciples. And it's in that place of victory that we make disciples. And we have from here the command to go. To go, or as you are going, go therefore and make disciples. All authority has been given to Christ, so go. Across the street, across the world, as you are going, shine, proclaim, and make. 
Now, I'd written this sermon before I left. By the way, I went to Hawaii from 5th to the 15th, so... Um, Malay Kalikimaka. That's a Christmas from Hawaii, according to Bing Crosby, at least. Uh, so so I had written this, and, you know, and, and so I go, on, I, I go on a vacation there, and it was supposed to be just a vacation, you know, just celebrating my 40th. I'm 40 years old now. I'm part of the club. I got the card and everything. And uh, my, me and my wife's 15-year anniversary. So, you know, I think it's cool. So I'm, so I'm writing this. I'm talking about how the, the believer, not, not pastors, but the believer, wherever they go, they bring the Christmas message. They bring that Christ has come. The desire of every nation has come. And we are to encourage one another and make disciples. So it's not just proclaiming the message. It's also teaching them to obey everything that the Lord has commanded us. And um, so, so I'm going there. And some of you kind of and understand me more, I'm not the kind of person who just strikes up a conversation with strangers. It's just not my personality. And so other people, good for them. It's not me. And so uh, I'm on vacation and I'm, uh, I'm going up this, uh, here's one of the cool things about when a pastor goes on vacation. I'm not Pastor Jason over in Hawaii. I'm Pastor Jason here. Somebody sees me in the community. I've had this happen so many times. They're like, oh, you're the pastor over at Faith Church. Well, I got a question for you. So it's easy peasy for me, right? So it's, hard, it's almost kind of hard for me to be like, you need to be doing this when like, people just come up to me and start asking me and I can share the gospel at any point in time. But when I'm on vacation, I'm not Pastor Jason. I'm just a guy. I'm a tourist over in Hawaii. And I'm, uh, I'm doing this, um, I'm doing this uh, climb, this uh, hike called the Coco Crater Trail. And um, I thought about this. And if this is too hard, don't worry about this. But if you want to find a picture of the Coco K-O-K-O Crater Trail, people can see it's a very steep hike. I'm in reasonably good shape. I mean, I'm not in the best shape, but I'm in pretty good shape. I've ran marathons. And uh, this, this totally whipped me. Um, I, I had to stop twice and breathe. I mean, it was difficult. And um, one of the times I had to stop and breathe, there was this, uh, this I, I say kid, he's like 20-some years old. Um, and uh, um, we start talking with one another. Like I said before, it's not really in my personality to strike up conversations with strangers, but I did. And, you know, it was one of those things where I'm like, this is no joke. Oh, my word. And um, we start talking and um, just talking about where, where I asked him what church he went to. And he went to a kind of a sister fellowship to our own and started, you know, just normal stuff. I get up to the, the top and, you know, as I'm at the top, I'm praying. I'm seeing God's creation as the sun is rising over the clouds. And I'm thinking to myself, you know something? God never puts me anywhere for no reason, even for a week, even for a vacation. And it's for no reason that I'm talking to this guy. And when he comes up, to, when he, when he comes up here, the Cocoa Trail, Crater Trail, um, I see him and I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and see, see what, what's what. And I go up to him, I start talking, he starts sharing. And this is one of the cool things. And I don't know if it's me specifically or if it's just anybody who's willing to listen to anybody kind of a thing. But he starts pouring out his heart to me his fears, his joys, things that are going on in his family. And I start, you know, I, I, I start telling him and we, we start talking about our shared faith in Jesus Christ. And before I leave, he lets me pray over him, like literally put my hand on him and pray over him. It's like, what a cool thing. Because all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto Jesus Christ. So therefore, as we are going, as we are going, we proclaim this gospel. We make disciples. We teach the nations to obey all that the Lord has instruction us, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Sometimes that is the proclamation of the gospel of somebody who's never heard it. 
Sometimes that's encouraging another brother and sister in Christ. And I thought at that time, I was like, man, I think God, God wanted to show his love to this person. He was using me to do that. And that is what God is calling you to. Making disciples is not just proclaiming. I shouldn't say just, that's huge. That's gargantuan. It's proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ, but it's also teaching them to obey all the words of Christ and to keep, to keep them as well in their life as they go throughout their, their life as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So who are we making a disciple? Everyone we come across, we should be trying to disciple. And what is the last thing he says in Matthew right here? Matthew was a disciple of Jesus Christ. He was a tax collector. The last thing he remembers, his Lord, his Savior, his friend saying to him, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know what the answer to life, the universe, and everything? It's not 42. It's Emmanuel, God with us. By the way, that was a reference to, I normally don't do this, I just move along. It's a reference to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. This last Wednesday, we were playing a game with the youth, and I made this joke about Charlie's Angels, and Brent Owen is like, how many of you guys actually know what he's talking about? And like one or two of them raised their hand, and their families were around, they're like, do you though? And they're like, no. (laughs) I normally make these jokes, and I just move along. But anyway, that's from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. But everybody's looking for an answer. And during this time, for a lot of people, it's one of those darkest times of the year. They're looking for an answer. The answer is Emmanuel, God with us. The last thing Matthew, the disciple, remembers Jesus saying to him, one of the last things is that he is with us always. That's Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. The answer to every question. He is not just with us, but he is with us always especially when we do not seem to remember that he's around. Worship team, would you come up? So this is the end of this series of being a Christmas missionary, that you are sent, that you know the issue, you know the message, and you know now that you are being sent, that everywhere you go, you are being sent. You are sent one to shine. People should see the works of grace in your life. You are sent to proclaim to share that the Messiah has come, to believe on him alone for salvation. And you're sent to make, make disciples. Everywhere you're going, you should be encouraging somebody in the faith or telling them about the faith. So shine, shine with the light of Christ. Are you living more now in the wonder of him who has saved you by his grace than when you first believed? Two, proclaim. As you are going, proclaim this message. And three, make disciples, teaching them to obey everything he's commanded, for he is with us to the very end of the age. Worship team's going to lead us in our final song. I'll end the service in a benediction and a blessing. But I want you to be encouraged today that you are being sent. And today, if you answer this question, if I died right now, I don't know where I'd go, or you're not confident that you're going to heaven, Even during this last song, call out on the name of the Lord for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Believe, believe he's everything he says he is, that he is completely able to save you and then repent, turn away from the sin you once loved and start loving the savior you once ignored.